What's up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Professional Athlete Podcast. We are joined today by legendary strength and conditioning coach, Mike Boyle. A lot of you listening probably already know who Mike Boyle is. Uh, He is the father of functional training. I actually don't know if he'll like that description at all. (laughs) But he has written two books on the topic. He's also the co-founder of uh, Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning Center, which if you have never seen this facility, go check it out online. I think Men's Health at one point called it the number one gym in America. Absolutely incredible, and it's a massive space. He is the former strength and conditioning coach for the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Bruins. He's done a lot with USA hockey, especially on the women's side, and uh, has been a staple at Boston University for a very long time, working with both the men's and women's programs there. So, you know, in addition to a really just incredible strength and conditioning resume on the professional and collegiate level, he's also worked with just so many professional athletes across so many sports. Uh, And he also works with just a general population as well. So we had a great conversation today. It was a lot of fun. (laughs) As expected, he pulled no punches. And we had a really great discussion about functional training, but also topics I think that are related, but hopefully are going to be really helpful just to like the average fitness enthusiast as they try and assess like, hey, who do I listen to? How do I judge if someone is actually worth taking seriously. So a great conversation. Uh, Something a little different this week as well. We are not doing a run it by my wife segment. No, Sonia and I are great. However, it's been a long weekend and we are going to see family. She's packing right now and we had to make the executive decision that we just couldn't get it done. So she will be back next week. Fear not. But yeah, with that said, hey, if you're listening, thank you. We appreciate it as always. If you'd be so kind, uh, scroll down to the bottom and leave a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you. You can also hit us up at KenGunter.com. You can also check us out on Instagram at uh, KenGunter underscore TPA. Yeah. All right, folks. Without further ado, let's welcome Coach Mike Boyle to the show. Here we go. I got too much to do. Yeah, I gotta get going. I gotta talk to you. It's time to start the show. (laughs) Coach Boyle, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I love doing these. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I know you've done a lot of them. We were just catching up about that. Uh, a savvy vet. So thank you for making the time to do this one as well. Not a problem. I'm, I'm trying to do one a week just because I, I get a lot of people asking and it's become a really good way to, to keep tapping into kind of new audiences, people that haven't maybe, you know, oh, yeah. aren't, aren't familiar with what we do and haven't really, uh, I mean, heard of us. You know, one thing you realize is, you know, you, you think you're um, making an impact. And then you realize there's freaking billions of people in the world who have no clue who you are. So, well, you know, and, and that's one of the amazing things that I've found about this podcast. So, you know, I'm actually coming up on a year of doing it and not that I had like a, a small vision for it, but I, I didn't anticipate how global it could be. Um, and so to your point, yeah, I mean, there's billions of people 
you know, and there's people in every country who, who for whatever reason, may not have been exposed to your work. So uh, I'm completely with you, man. The, the more opportunities that you can take to, to kind of get your message out there, you know, the more opportunities you have to make an impact on someone's life. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I Because my last book, I think, is in about nine languages now. And one day I said, you know, I started thinking, well, gee, it's in English and it's in Spanish. That must hit, you know, 80% of the world. Right. So I just right. kind of Googled most spoken languages and I realized that yeah. Hindi is the number one spoken language. And so. Isn't that if, amazing? Yeah. If you're not in Hindi, you're not hitting the largest percentage of whatever, listening, viewing. And obviously people could make a case for, you know, what are the economic factors that go into that? But it's just crazy that, that that's the, you know, that's first. And I think Mandarin Chinese, which my book is in is second, but Oh, I cool. think I figured out that I had only basically developed the ability to communicate with about 40% of the, of the world by being in nine hmm. languages. That's incredible. Well, yeah. And you know, it's, it's kind of uh, it's very easy to get focused first on like the U S right. At least you had it in uh, Spanish and English and now you've moved on to nine languages, but um, yeah, it's like, look, if your goal is to help people, there are so many people and it's like, you got to then figure out a way to like, how can you make it accessible? Right. And that's um, what, so actually, you know, let me ask you. Are, oh, good. Podcast, no, go ahead, please. In, podcast, Instagram. I would say half my Instagram followers are not in the United States. And I have about 110,000 right. Instagram followers. And, you know, you just realize that, I mean, it's amazing you know, I communicate regularly with a rugby guy in Sri Lanka. And would I have communicated okay. regularly with a rugby guy in Sri Lanka in the pre-internet world? No, there's no chance. Right. Yeah. You would have been like parchment and uh, long form mail and yeah. <laughs> weeks between communications. Yeah, man, it, it's incredible. I love it. Well, and, and to your point, I'm excited to share, uh, you know, granted, we only have an hour, so it'll be a snippet of uh, kind of what you do, but, um, you know, just introducing people to the idea and concept of, of functional training. And, may, and maybe that's a great place to start, you know, in, in your own words, would you mind describing what, what functional training means to you? Yeah, I, I've gotten very good at this. Functional training is training that, yes. makes, that makes sense. <laughs> it is the opposite of dysfunctional mm. training. So when you think about most of the training that we do, is really dysfunctional. We spend a tremendous amount of time training on two feet, although almost nothing that occurs in sports occurs on two feet. So a lot of training right. by nature is dysfunctional. And we started looking at this and saying, hey, you know, I mean, I always say, I use the example, rowing is really the only sport mm -hmm. that is consistently competed at 100% of the time with two feet in contact with, you know, quote unquote ground, not even the ground, but really, you know, the foot plate kind right. of in the boat. Other than that, everything else is one leg at a time. So when, hmm. and the other thing we talk about is functional training is training muscles according to their function. It's the understanding of functional anatomy. So, so much of what we do is just dysfunctional stuff that everybody else did. And we just keep repeating, well, this is how everybody always did it. So we're just going right. to keep doing it that way. Yeah. And, you know, you said something too. Um, I had a lot of fun going back and, and reading your book again. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a question that, that kind of needs to be asked, whether it's a movement, an exercise, it's like, hey, are we, are we improving strength or are we improving performance? 
Um, and it's, you know, I, I admittedly looking back and even today, uh, it's very easy to get caught up in that desire to improve strength, add more weight, break through a, a PR, right? Even if you're doing it at the expense of pro- proper form and function. Um, so just like looking at things through that lens even kind of helps me when I'm assessing, you know, like I'm, I'm no longer a, a competitive athlete, but I have a bunch of goals that I've set for myself. Looking at it through that lens even helps me kind of stay oriented towards my task. Yeah, because ultimately when you look at particularly, you know, this is called the professional athlete podcast. If you're training a professional athlete, they've generally already become professional prior to meeting you. That would be, you know, there are a few of us and mm. I will say I am in that minority of strength coaches who've trained people from the time they were young until they became professionals and then throughout their professional career. There's a couple of guys that have done that, Hmm. but uh, not a lot. And so one of the things you have to realize when you train professional athletes is somehow, some way they got here without you. And you have to understand that part. And then you have to look at it and think, you know, we in the strength world have like a fascination with strength sports, with um, with Olympic lifting, with powerlifting, with bodybuilding. But yeah. the reality is those are their own pursuits. They're not the um, the pursuit of the professional athlete that you're training. That person might want to be better at baseball or better at hockey or better at basketball, whatever that is. And then you have to figure out what can I take out of those other disciplines that may help this person become better at their sport. And hmm. I mean, that's, that's the kind of essence of the job. Yeah. Well, and, and, and let me ask you this, because you mentioned it already. Uh, bilateral versus, versus unilateral movement. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you were the first to really uh, bring this into the consciousness of the strength and conditioning community, but uh, certainly I think unilateral movement is often associated with the programming that, that people at least perceive you to do. Can, can you kind of talk about the difference between the two a little bit and, and, you know, if one is more beneficial as we think about functional training or training for sport? Yeah, I mean, I think when you really look at it, bilateral training is really dysfunctional neurologically, my feeling is the body doesn't like bilateral training, you know, and I use the example. Hmm. So if someone, if you ask somebody to, um, to jump as far as they could, let's use standing, you know, a kind of a standing long jump, people are going to run and jump off one leg, right? You know, you'll never see a, you know, you never see a guy say, Oh, he held the world record in the triple jump and he hopped the whole thing or or a double leg jumped the entire time. Our body yeah. is made, is designed in this spiral, diagonal, beautiful neurological way. And then what we do is we make it dumber and dumber and dumber by hammering it with bilateral <laughs> exercise. And if you look at this, and I'm an ex-powerlifter, so I could say it, but I would not. You're, you're an ex-what? An ex-powerlifter. I, I competed in powerlifting you know, as a, young oh, yeah, man, yeah. as a young man in my 20s. And, but I think yeah. if you go to a powerlifting meet, I, I could politely say you are not impressed by the athleticism of the participants. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't look at the guys yeah. or, the, or the women and think, wow, I bet that guy's really good at basketball. Wow, I bet that guy, you know, he's a really, really good baseball pitcher. No, you look at those people and think yeah. they're very, very good at lifting weights with two feet touching the ground. And what you right. realize is if that had the performance-enhancing properties that we – you know, sort of attribute to it. 
a lot more of those people would be in the Olympics in other sports. They wouldn't be, you know, off on some Saturday afternoon competing against other like-minded individuals. They would be at the Olympics or they would be in the NBA or yeah. they would be in the NFL and they're not. And, and what we realize right. is that this sort of, you know, we've gone into this blind pursuit more is like, it's the, the American way, right? More is better. You know, if running a mile is good, running two yeah. miles is much better and running a marathon is way better than that. And that's right. just not reality. So when we start looking at this like bilateral versus unilateral, I mean, to me, the debate, you like look and go, um, okay, watch, just put the TV on, watch every game. What are they doing? Are they yeah. not moving unilaterally? And most of the best players move unilaterally really, really fast. So when you start looking mm -hmm. at that, you think, wow, if I could develop training techniques that help people move unilaterally really fast, that would probably be performance enhancing for what I'm watching on television right now. I mean, it is so yeah. common sense, but we have a lot of people who are very wrapped up in their own belief system. See, the difference for me is I'm not wrapped up in a belief system. I'm wrapped up that my belief system is I want to make my athletes the best I possibly can be. And that has right. led me to investigate lots of things and not become hmm. fascinated with some sort of um, simplistic uh, thing. So, yeah, just, there, there certain seems to there, there certainly seems to be uh, you know some some folks who take like a dogmatic approach and like you said it's like hey this is the way we've we've always done it um, and also you know on powerlifting because look I also you know one I love watching it I love doing it and there's a, there's a place for it right but I, I think kind of what you're saying is like you need to be really honest about what you're training for if you're training to be a better powerlifter I would assume that you would say well then go for it right because those those exercises are specific to that sport. Um, but if you have another pursuit, football, basketball, baseball, field, whatever it is, uh, to your, to your point, just watch what's happening and clearly unilateral, you know, single leg, um, is, is like the driving force behind who's successful. Right. I mean, and that's, so to me, it's, you know, we talk about, you know, functional training is training that makes sense. Functional training is just using your common sense. So, so much of it to me, and it's, as you said, to be able to step away from the dogma, to be able to step back from mm. what you've always, you know, what you've believed. This is what I think. This is what I was taught. This is what my high school coach told me. This is what my college coach told me. But to be able to, to sit there and question that, to look at that and say, wow, is that really true? And I think that applies in a lot of areas of life. But, uh, you know, when we look at that, we yeah. have to think, wow, is that really the best way to do that? And I did that a long time hmm. ago, 30 years ago. I had some of these epiphanies at seminars, listening to people and thinking, wow, are we doing the right thing here? And, hmm. and if we're not, should I be doing something different? And that led me to experiment. And the experiments led me to, to kind of at least in my mind verify that what we were doing was working because suddenly we're getting people better and healthier. We're not, you know, because again, the crazy pursuit of like the big squat, the big deadlift, the big bench press generally leaves like this orthopedic wreck in its, you know, our trail, right? Where, you know, people's got, you know, yeah. bad, bad back, bad shoulders, whatever it is. And they're constantly trying to work around these things in the consistent pursuit of, you know, five more pounds in a lift, 10 more pounds in a lift. 
And you look at that and think like from, for, you know, for my guys, and I should be my guys or my girls, because we have a lot of like, you know, women's national team players that we train. The truth is they don't care about that. That's not important to them. What's important to them is being the Hmm. world's best at their particular activity. Yeah. What, what, what are you looking for in, uh, when you consider adding a movement or an exercise, you know, to your programming, like what are, what are, what like sort of traits are you looking for that that movement might be able to deliver to the athletes? I look for something that's better than what we're doing right now. I think that's the thing that I really look Hmm. at. So if someone, so I'm always trying to figure out, okay, who's the best in the world at whatever it is they do. You know, I'll give you Stuart McGill is a really good example. So if Stuart McGill is the leading expert, on helping people with low back pain, then Hmm. I should probably listen to Stuart McGill when he talks about low back pain. I should probably look at the exercises. Sounds like I need to, yeah. Yeah, but look at the exercises that he says are important. Look at the things that he says, here's kind of my to-do list. Here's my not to-do list. Here are my recommendations. And I think that's all you Hmm. really need to do. And as you begin to do that, what happens in our field is that people think, oh, yeah, I listen to him and uh, he doesn't agree with me. So therefore, he's an idiot. You know, and, and you're kind of like, I mean, that's basically how most strength and conditioning people evaluate things. They listen to people. They seek agreement right. or affirmation that they're correct. Yeah. And then if they're not, well, I'll begin to argue with this person on the Internet and I'll tell everybody how much I dislike them because they don't think like me. And that's, you know, that's like Mike hmm. Boyle's life. You know, there's, there's the Mike Boyle acceptors and there are the Mike Boyle detractors. And, you know, they could be equal groups. I don't really know. Yeah. But the truth is I don't really care because my job is not – my job is to attempt to educate. But, it, you know, it's not to try to sway the people that don't want to agree with me. It's only to sort of, hey, I want to draw in the like-minded people who understand and who I – what I would consider the intelligent people. But um, yeah. that's just me. Yeah. So what what are you using to measure whether uh, a new, you know, not to oversimplify, an exercise or an approach or some means of training? What are you using to measure uh, and determine if that's going to stay in your programming moving forward? Like um, what sorts of things are you looking there's at? There's a bunch of things you're looking at. One, like I always, I always say there's, there's two ways to look at an exercise. An athlete looks at you and says, this exercise sucks. And then you have to look at it and think, well, does he think it sucks because it's really hard to do? Or does he think it sucks because it's a waste of time? I need to delineate which of those two it is and be able to look at that. So what I'm really looking at is I think athletes are super intuitive and really smart. And that's one of the things that I realized when I kind of rejected the bilateral back squat idea. I can't tell you how many professional yeah. athletes said to me, oh, that's awesome. You're never going to make me put 500 pounds on my back again. And I was like, nope, never. And they were literally like, oh, man, right. high five. You're, you're the best. You know. And what you realize is that there weren't <laughs> – and the people who were mad tended to be the grunts, right? You know, The offensive mm-hmm. linemen, those types of guys were like, oh, you know, you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. But all the really high-skilled people thought, wow, I always hated that to begin with. It it never felt good. It always made my back sore. I never felt good the next day. You know what I mean? And I started to realize, okay, there's there's clearly some affirmation here from the gifted athletes that I'm working with that that this is a positive Hmm. direction. But then you also have to look at it in terms of – like I like to analyze injury rates. 
you know, yeah. I mean, in, in training, I want an injury rate of zero. So I don't want anybody to ever get hurt training. If somebody gets hurt training to me, that's disastrous. Right. And then I want to look at people right. when they go to their season, what's their incident, say of non-contact injury. I always said that, you know, contact injury to some degree, you're not going to be able to prevent that from happening, but non-contact mm-hmm. injury, the kind of muscle pulls, the low back pain, those types of things should the ACLs. Yeah. Should be, yeah. Should be decreased. And what we found is that our yeah. sort of emphasis on functional training, one was our, like I said, ACL, we did one year, well, not one year, one six year period. We did six years where we were involved in women's professional soccer. We didn't have one ACL. Mm-hmm. Six years. Really? And of, of women's yeah, professional and, and, soccer. And the, the female. Oh, yeah. The, the stats. The I mean, female would be, athletic population. Yeah, the average yeah. there should have been based on, you know, let's say we were working with a team of 25 women. You know, even if you said two women, we should have had somewhere in the, the neighborhood of 12 ACLs and we had zero. Hmm. And we continue to, I mean, it's not that no one has ever torn an ACL that works with us, but it is not something that we see with great frequency. We were talking about this the other day. We don't hmm. see a lot of hamstring strains. We don't have a lot of hip surgeries. We don't have a lot of back pain. You know, and and people, but the big kind of drag on me is, oh, you know, he's afraid, you know, he doesn't want to do things that are difficult. And I'm like, it, particularly in the professional athlete world, absolutely. Am I afraid? Yes. Do I not want to do things mm. that I consider to be high risk? Yes. Because the, you know, the first year I went and worked for the Red Sox, one of the things that, that I said to every guy that I talked to was like, Hey, you got here without me. You're here. Like you're playing major league baseball. You're one of an elite group of people. How can I help you? Yeah. You know, not, not me saying it. Oh yeah. I know the way to train and I'm going to tell you what to do because again, the average professional athlete is going to reject that premise. They're going to look and be like, who's this like bald little old man who's all of a sudden going to tell me how I'm going to do it. Right. And I saw a bunch of people like in professional sports, there are guys who get fired all the time because they come in and think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to tell everybody how to train because I'm the world's biggest genius of training. And a lot mm. of the players just look and go like, whatever. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Got here without you. Don't really have much interest in your, your ideas. Right. People, I'm hitting 300 as is. Yeah, exactly. And you're not like, you know, you don't strike me as a team player. Like a guy who wants to help me get better. You're telling me that I don't know what I'm doing. And I want to look at you and think, I know what I'm doing. You know, I had guys who used to be like, I right. made $10 million. I know what I'm doing. And I was kind of like, I can't really argue with that. If you make $10 million in major league baseball, you're obviously doing something right. So I, you know, I right. wanted to focus, like I said, and, and the guys were incredibly receptive to what I wanted them to do because I didn't force it on them. I, I had guys, hmm. I actually started when I first went, all I really did was work. I almost personal trained all the injured guys. We had a whole bunch of guys from the year before we had 11 disabled list players who had had surgery the year before. And I just kind of threw oh, wow. myself into these 11 guys. I'm going to train these 11 guys. I'm going to help with their, you know, with their rehab. When they get done in the training room, I'm going to take them and do what I think I need to do to help them to get back to play. Within about a month of that, I had rostered players coming to me and saying, why are these guys getting all the attention? You know, why don't you make time for us? And I was like, okay, that means I've I've just done my job because the rostered guys have taken notice. struck a chord. Yep. And yeah. And, but it was initially just, Hey, here's where I think I can do the most good. And the interesting thing, the next year we started the next year with zero guys 
on the disabled list. We had we had no one have surgery after the season was over, and we won the world championship hmm. the next year. I believe there is a strong correlate. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a strong correlate, and not to me or my work, but to healthy players. You know, the, the, they always talk about in professional. You can't win a game if you're not on the field. Right. The, the yeah. number one ability is availability. You know, like you're going to win. I always say to people, you know, what are the chances of the Lakers winning if LeBron's not playing? They drop way down, right? You know, Brady doesn't oh, yeah. play in the Super Bowl. What's the chances of Tampa Bay winning? They drop way down. Mahomes loses mm-hmm. two offensive linemen, you know, in the last couple of weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. What are the chances of Kansas City winning the Super Bowl? They go way down. You know, when your best players are no yep. longer available – so our focus should really be on availability first. At least hmm. that's my mind. So what's going on in the body physiologically when you're, you're training guys unilaterally? Um, and, and you put a ton of content out online. So you know, I'll encourage people to go to YouTube and I'll, I'll link to your book um, to see a lot of the exercises that you're doing. But you know, okay, so I, t- I totally follow you. Hey, sport is not done bilaterally, uh, you know, almost exclusively, right? Um, so understanding that like the way that we perform sport, unil- unilateral is really critical. But when you're training guys in that way, like w- what is actually happening that's helping them perform better or reduce the risk of injury? Well, I mean, one, you're training, if you think about functional anatomy, you're training the right muscles. If I put two feet on the floor, hmm. All of the muscles of my hips and my core do not have to do the same thing that they do when one foot is on the floor. So this is the sort of incredible common sense argument that I like to make for people. I get you. I put you on the floor and I say, take your right foot off the floor, stand on your left foot. I have now asked your adductors to stabilize your pelvis. I've now asked your glute medius to stabilize your pelvis. I've now asked your quadratus lumborum to stabilize your your pelvis. I've asked all of the muscles probably, you know, from below your pecs to your knees to perform a different function than they were performing when we were doing bilateral exercise. Uh, You know, and we now have a neurological specificity that relates really Mm. strongly to what we're going to do on the field. And that's what I mean about common sense. I look at that and I say to people, okay, argue that premise with me on this same scientific basis on which I am arguing it with you. Don't argue it with me on, oh, squats are king of all lifts. You got to do it to get strong. I'm like, that's a freaking half-assed bullshit argument, right? But that's generally yeah. most of the people that I argue with default back to, oh, it was good enough for me when I played. Or, you know, some other sort of moronic kind of approach versus, no, wait a second. Let's have an anatomical. Let's objectively assess this. Uh, You know, as far as what's happening, and so I guess that's what we're looking at. Then you get into the idea that um, there's a concept that they call bilateral deficit, and this is really like the clincher of the unilateral versus bilateral debate. So, bilateral deficit basically says that in the easiest way to, you know, uh, are we using video or are we using just audio when this goes out? Yeah, using video too. Yeah. Video too. So imagine I'll use my hands as yep. examples because it's really easy. If I gave you a hand grip sure. dynamometer and said, squeeze it as hard as you could with two hands, you would get a score, mm. a grip strength score. Let's just say that grip yeah. strength score is 100 to make the numbers really easy. If I then gave you the yeah. same dynamometer and said, squeeze it in your right hand, then squeeze it in your left hand. And I added right plus left together 
right plus left would be greater than right and left combined. That is indicative of hmm. bilateral deficit. If we did that, you can do that in, in lots of exercises. And again, I'm not a leg extension fan. We don't do leg extensions, but leg extension is a really easy example. If I had somebody do a two leg yeah. leg extension for a max, some sort of max, let's say a 10 rep max, then I had them do right leg and left leg. The addition of right leg, left leg would be greater than the two legs. If I measured your vertical mm. jump off of two legs and then I had you do a single leg right and a single leg left, the combination of right and left would again be greater. And what this is, is it, it, it to some huh. people's mind, it's neurological proof that the body is inefficient when you ask it to act bilaterally. Because think about this again from a neurological standpoint. You're asking your brain to send impulses to both sides of the body saying, do the same thing. But hmm. when you ask that At the same, exact same time, right. And when you ask the body to do something in a sports skill sense, it's like, okay, throw a baseball. You know, you don't give somebody two baseballs and say, you know, if you gave somebody two baseballs and said, try to throw them both, you'd see a really right. inefficient baseball throw, right? Even think of asking somebody <laughs> to go to throw left-handed. Think about neurologically how driven we are. Most yeah. people can't throw it all with their left hand, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's a clear hemispherical nature to the brain, which gives you a certain side dominance. And we know that all this occurs, but in training, we reject the idea, even though the data is there. Anybody can look up. By, I have people yeah. say, well, with bilateral deficit, if you train really hard with two legs, you can probably equal it out. And my thing is, you can close the gap. A little yeah, bit. I'm like, you don't want to close the gap. That closing the gap is idiotic. You know, it's like saying right. I'm, I'm inefficient, but I want to make myself as inefficient as I possibly can. Right. And right. so we saw for this, the sake of proving my point. Right. We saw this with <laughs> unilateral, um, you know, any of the unilateral squat type variations that we did. People very, very quickly got way stronger in these unilateral activities than we expected them mm -hmm. to get. And it was almost like that was like I was doing it from a specificity standpoint, from a sports standpoint, from an injury prevention standpoint. But what I realized from a pure performance standpoint, it was better. I had a friend last night send me a video of his baseball players doing step back lunges. Now these are, you know, not supermen, but they're doing step back lunges with 315 pounds. These are yeah. not guys who could squat. <laughs> they couldn't squat or RDL or deadlift or whatever, 630 pounds. I am very certain of that. I've seen hockey so, players do 500 pounds yeah. in a one leg squat. 500 pounds, like easy, right. like, like breaking sticks. The guy's not a thousand pound squatter. So, um, but well, all right, go ahead. I could go on forever. I'll let you no, well, what's interesting to, No, I love it. I love it. This is great. This is great. No, but I was just going to say, you know, I, I played college football and uh, looking back now and rereading your book again, I, I have to imagine it influenced uh, a good deal of what we did because we did do a lot of like, you know, single leg squats, split squats, things of that nature. And I'm, I'm one of those guys, you know, I'm taller. I'm like six, three at the time I was probably like two thirty. Um, so I would have lower back pain. Right. And I just was like, well, it's just, I don't know, it kind of is what it is. But to your point, what I found is like when we did like our single leg squats or, you know, whatever it's called the rear foot elevated single leg squat with like a barbell. Um, not only could I do much more on a single leg, like, and this might have been like uh, indicative of some sort of, you know, uh, dysfunction I had with my regular squat, but I could do substantially more with a single leg squat. Uh, 
And I, I always thought that was so interesting. Um, and to your point, like the amount, not to beat my chest, but the amount of weight I could do was like very surprising because it was nowhere near, uh, if you were to add the two together, reflective of what I would be able to do with two legs. Right. Um, so reading the book, it, it makes sense logically, but I can also kind of attest to just my own experience, just how true that actually is. Yeah. And I mean, if you think, like you said, you're six, three, the taller somebody is like one of the things I wrote an article on rowing one time. And one of the things that I said is what makes you a really good rower? It makes you a really shitty weightlifter. The taller you are, <laughs> the worse weightlifter you'll be. Because it's it's leverage again, it, you know it's like anatomy. This is physics, right? It's about lever arms. I always said the guys that encourage you to squat, the guys that are like huge squat proponents. Do you know what they look like? Squatty. That would be their description of them, right? They're squatty. They're <laughs> Muscle short, hamsters. right? They're short. They're muscular. <laughs> they have really exceptional yeah, yeah, yeah. leverage, which allows them to be really good at weightlifting type tasks. You very rarely see like a a six, eight basketball player espousing how much he yeah. loves back squatting. You know, I love back squatting. I love deadlifting up. No, you don't see it. You know, there are, maybe there are some, right. maybe you could find one or two, but in general, because the other thing you find in, in strength training, right? The disc is a constant. So if we're going to lift weights off the floor, mm. the person who has the highest probability of lifting a weight off the floor, a heavyweight is the shortest person probably who has the greatest amount of mass per inch. So, you know, your best power lifters are going to be short and stocky, particularly your best deadlifters because yeah. that plate is 18 inches. And it's a hmm. lot easier for a guy who's 5'8 to get 18 inches off the floor than it is, or actually, you know, well, nine and a half inches, really, if you're thinking where the center is, than a guy who's 6'8. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, and this right. is all the like, like... Travels a lot less. Yeah, like I go to t seminars all the time and I get, you know, I sort of espouse all of this common sense stuff for people like here look at this you know here's the diameter of a disc that's why we don't clean from the floor you know and people are like you have to clean from the floor i'm like no you don't have to clean from the floor i said you've obviously never trained like elite rowers or nba players or you know big left tackles in the nfl they're all going to be shitty at cleaning from the floor they're also going to be lousy back squatters hmm. you know they're going to be and i can tell you this historically you know because again tall people tend to have a lot more length within their femur than their tibia. It's what makes them tall. I have a great video hmm. or a great picture that I show of uh, Interesting. one of my interns and one of my athletes. The intern is 4'11", the athlete is 5'11". Seated, they are identical in height. Their spines are the same length. Oh, wow. But you can literally see, That's so the wild. one girl, so if you look at Sydney, who you see in the picture, you see that her knees are about four inches above the knees of the other girl. And you realize that her tibia yeah. is at least three inches longer and her femur is about eight inches longer. And that accounts for the 11 huh. inches or 12 inches different in their height. It's not in their spine. Yeah. You know, and so there's just yeah, all of these things. Crazy. I mean, there's so much evidence out there. But the problem is our field is so dogmatic that people don't want Well, people, I would say again, the Mike Boyle people are very ready to accept the evidence. The other people, mm. you know, the powerlifting people, the Olympic lifting people, they just want, you know, they're the science deniers. They don't want this to be true. It's not true. In spite of the fact that you're, yeah. you're talking to me about the nervous system and you're talking to me about functional anatomy and you're talking to me about all these things that make perfect sense. It's like, you know, 
like little kids. La, 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 I can't hear you. And that's how they are. Like they don't, they don't want to hear because right. then they become less significant. The things that are important to them become less important. Yeah. Well, and actually, you know, I had another question, but maybe this is, uh, this is even more relevant because right. You, you did create a second iteration of your book. Um, you know, so one, like I said, I, I enjoyed reading. And I think you even do a, a good job of saying, look, I put this in 10, 15 years ago. I no longer agree with what I wrote then based on what I've learned in the time between. So like for you, you know, what, what, what was, uh, kind of the, why was there a need to write the, the second version of, of functional training? Because the first one was terrible. <laughs> it was written. In two, it was written in two thousand four. It's actually a funny story. So, uh, Ted Miller, who's okay. a Ted's a um, editor for Human Kinetics, and he grabbed me at a seminar and said, "I really think you should write a second edition of the book." Now, one thing that you'll realize yeah. if you ever write a book is that you don't ever read your own book, right? Like I don't read my own book every year mm. and say, "Hey, how relevant is my own book?" And my literal response to right. Ted was. Ted, the book is fine. It still sells. You know, I sell four or 5,000 copies every year. What, you know, and he said, all he said was, I'd like you to review the book. And if you feel it doesn't need revision, that'll be the end of the conversation. So I went and I reviewed the book and I sent him an email and I was like, Ted, this book sucks. Who wrote this? You know, (laughs) it's like, (laughs) (laughs) and, and that led to, okay, here's the rewrite because my, and this is the thing I say to people all the time. That was if in 16 years or actually, I think it was 10 or 12 from the original writing to the new one coming out. I think it was 2016. The new one came out. Hmm. But if you yeah. haven't learned enough to make your own book no longer relevant, then you probably weren't working during that time. What? Right. I mean, yeah. uh, cause I looked at things, you know, there were things I said, you, I didn't even mention foam rolling in the first book. And if you, someone said mm-hmm. to me, first thing you should do if you're going to work out, I'm like, foam roll. First thing, foam roll. In the first book, I said, don't static stretch because it's been shown to reduce power. I since realized mm-hmm. that that was not true and that that research was hmm. at best questionable and at in reality probably completely wrong. So the first okay. two things that we do at a workout, I said not to do. In the first book, I was like, we didn't even mention foam rolling. And I said, don't yeah. stretch. Now, the first thing I tell you to do is foam roll. Second thing I tell you to do is stretch. There was a lot of still bilateral training talk in there. There was a lot of talk about front squatting. And there was, uh, you know, in that time, because it was functional training, there was a little bit of talk about like, you know, unbalanced, unstable surface stuff. And there was a lot of unilateral in there, but not nearly as much as there probably should have been. So, uh, you know, I, I think hmm. I always say every, to anybody, any book that you read is out of date because by the time you get the book in your hands, that author has had some change as to how they feel about something that's in that book. Uh, I love that. Well, and you know, I'd be interested to hear from your perspectives because, because we have talked a lot about not being married to a philosophy or an ideology, right? Following the science for you specifically, you know, because you are a, a very well-regarded expert in the space. Like where, where are you turning for education and like kind of continued learning? Well, Twitter. That's where everybody goes. Oh, Hey, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, that's right. a, that's a half joke. But the reality is, yep. you know, a well curated Twitter feed 
is going to be a wealth of information ah. because you'll get yeah. constant updates on research, on science, on whatever it is. So I can look at my Twitter feed in the morning and find out what all the smart people that I know are thinking. And hmm. that's a really good thing. And the other thing is you create a network of smart people. I'm at the point in my career hmm. where I know most of the good people in my field or who I think the good people are. So, and I keep yeah. tabs on those people. What are they thinking? What's their direction right now? What are they into? You know, what are they finding interesting? What are they reading? Are they having thoughts that are changing about training? This is all things that you hmm. should be doing. Anybody, I don't care what business you're in, you should be doing the same thing. Right. You should know, okay, who's, you know, like if I'm going to, you know, if I'm whatever, if I'm an inventor or a car manufacturer or whatever it is, I want to know what Elon Musk is thinking, right? I may not mm -hmm. like Elon Musk. I may think Elon Musk is the greatest guy in the world, but either way, I want to know what he's thinking because he's a thought right. leader. He's a guy who's, you know, he's now currently the richest man in the world. You know, I want to know what Warren Buffett's thinking. I want to know. There's a lot of things that I want to know in the world. Yeah. And I jokingly say, but Twitter is a really good place to, to keep up on a lot of that stuff without, um, you know, having to go to the library constantly. Imagine going to the library. Yeah. Do you know, any, do you know anyone that goes to a library? Uh, I don't know where my nearest library is. And yeah, I, have three I, mean, I know kids, exactly where mine so. is and I've never been in it because I can get all the, yeah. the internet. I mean, the internet is, you know, I'm talking to you right now via the internet. Um, you know, this morning exactly. I was doing research. I was looking for, you know, whatever on the internet, right? Uh, you know, I can look for whatever I want on the internet anytime that I want. I get up, right. at, I get up at five o'clock in the morning. And that's the first thing I do. Hmm. You know, I look at emails. I look at Twitter. You know, I try to figure out, okay, what's going on in the world? What's happening in my space that yeah. I might be interested in reading about? And it's the same mm -hmm. with whether it's podcasts or whether it's, um, you know, subscribing to somebody's email feed. So you can look and think, okay, here are the people that I think are thought leaders and I can be current. You know, today I bookmarked a couple of podcasts that I want to listen to business kind of fitness mm -hmm. business related podcast so that I can keep up yeah. on what other successful fitness business people are going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that. And you're right. Like there is just, uh, you know, these social platforms, it's funny. Like I I'm constantly torn because on the one hand, uh, it, it can very much be a time suck that's non-productive. So I often avoid it for that very reason, but you're absolutely right. Like well curated, there's no better access to like real time information as to what, you know, the best, the best in the industry are thinking. Right. Um, well, let me, curated, uh, well oh, curated is the word. That's the key. The key is well curated yeah. because, yeah. You, you know, you can, it is a big time suck. You know, you can look at TikToks forever of a bunch of idiots dancing, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like, like who cares? Right. I watched the same, you know, I watched right. thousand different girls do the same dance on TikTok today. But, um, you know, that, that to me is a waste of time, but, yeah. um, and even Instagram can be a little more of a waste of time because of where it's driven. Mm -hmm. Whereas Twitter, like I always think, I hate to say a, a well curated Twitter feed can really save you a lot of time. Um, it can also be a time. You're spot. inspiring you, me to get back on Twitter. Oh, if you're not, I, I would say like, literally I said, if you're not on Twitter, you're an idiot. Because it's so easy. It, <laughs> it, it has to be. Sorry, I called you an idiot, right? But it has to be That's short. Well, yeah. Right? You know, whatever. That's 240 characters, show, whatever it is. But 
by so mm-hmm. by its nature, it's brief. Unless you decide to get sucked in. Yeah. And then what you do on Twitter, the key on Twitter, and I learned this, I should I wish I could think who my friend was who told me, but somebody told me this and I should give them credit. Muting and blocking. Right? You uh-huh. you if if idiots sort of invade your feed, you simply block them. Okay, I'm blocking this guy, he's an idiot. You know, he's on he's only here for the argument. I don't need him. Right. You know, or maybe I think I ah, he's only <laughs> here for the argument, but he's actually kind of smart. I'm gonna mute him. I generally block more than mute. You know, if I look at people after a yeah. while and think, okay, these are these are just kind of turf defenders, then I'm gonna block those people. And uh Yeah. And then, you know, so I can literally like I curate my own feed. But then if you follow me on Twitter, mm. you get the benefit of me curating my own feed. Because now you follow ah. me and then you, you see what I'm gonna repost. Okay, what did I repost today? Yeah. You know, or what did I favorite or what did I, you know, what discussion did I get involved in? And then you think, okay, I should probably go look at that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, uh, you know, that that's part of the problem that people have too. And I've got a couple questions. And so let me think about where I want to take this, but there's now so much information at folks fingertips uh, it's, it's very tough for the well-intended person to differentiate like the actual expert from the snake oil salesman. Um, you know, working in this space for so long, and I wasn't planning on talking to you about this at all, but now I'm interested, you know, for folks who are like, look, I, I really want to get better. Uh, I have a very specific goal. I, I don't know who to follow, who to invest my time and money in. Like, you know, do you have any sort of like things that you recommend criteria that people look for when assessing, uh, you know, whose information they're going to put validity into? Yeah. Well, I'm going to give you my friend Alan Cosgrove's criteria. Been there, done that, still doing okay. it. Okay. That's what you want to look ah, for. Some, okay. Someone who's been there, someone who's done it, and someone who is still doing it. Because those are yeah. people with skin in the game and real world experience. The internet, you're right, absolutely freaking overpopulated with frauds, with fraudulent resumes. I mean, just, and I always say in the fitness space, I could, you know, call it names. I always said like, at some point I'm going to get like my mother, you know, when my mother kind of got old, she became like one of these people who just said whatever was coming into her mind. And sometimes I have to be like, mom, like relax on that. Okay. But I want to be that when I'm old (laughs) where someone will bring up a name and I'll be like total fraud, like absolute loser. I can't believe you listened to him. (laughs) But I can't do that. But when you look at, I always said, when you look at people, uh, here's my criteria. People who never post Hmm. a video that's not like of them or their girlfriend or their mother. And the videos look like they're done in somebody's basement, but they swear or they're in a garage and they swear they're one of the world's leading you know, performance enhancement specialists. And I'm like, okay, if you're one of the world's leading performance enhancement specialists, you are not filming videos in your freaking garage or your basement. Here I am filling a podcast in my basement, by the way. So just to, (laughs) just to state what a total fraud I am. But do you know what I mean? When you you have to look at stuff like that, you have to look at their resume when their resume is nebulous. People always, Oh, has trained numerous professional athletes, you know, MLB, NHL, like they got all the league names. But no guys. Like you're yeah. like, okay, who are the guys? Like if you ask me who my guy, like I've trained the best women's ice hockey players in the world. I can tell you their names. Mm-hmm. You know, 
Hillary Knight, Kendall Coyne, like, you know, Megan Keller. I can go right down the list of the best women's ice hockey players in the world. I've trained most of them if they're American, right? Yeah. I train the best women's lacrosse player in the world, Kayla Trainer. And if you look on my website, you'll see videos of Kayla Trainer training. You know, I've trained some of the best NHL players in the world. I've trained literally guys that are in the Hall of Fame. You know, and I can just look at the jerseys in our gym and you'll see the names of the people that we've trained. You know, I've, so we have been there and we have done that. You know, like I've got two national championship rings. I've got a world series ring. Like I have the, whatever the bona fides that you need to have to present myself as an expert in this field. But you know something, everybody's Mm -hmm. resume on the internet looks just like mine. Mike is one of the leading experts in performance enhancement in the world, a widely sought after speaker who's trained athletes from the NHL, NBA, MLB, whatever. Everybody's got the same bullshit resume. It's like they went to my website and copied mine off and just put it on theirs. And, you know, and <laughs> I some, might just use that for your intro. Yeah. Some of those people, right, have probably met, you know, guys from those leagues in an elevator somewhere. Or that guy, like, you know, stopped by their facility once because he was in the area. But so you mm. have to really delve into the backgrounds of people and say, okay, yeah. if you say you train Olympians, who? And I always say this, right. if anybody says, I can't tell you, huge red flag. Because do you know how many clients yeah, I've ever had sure. who said I couldn't mention their name? I'll give you a wild <laughs> guess. How many? I'm going to guess one. One. You're exactly one. right. I had one. Well, hey, I, all right. When I was training Jennifer Garner, she didn't want people to know she was in Boston. She was like, please don't mention that I'm here. And this is the best part oh. about Jennifer Garner, who is a doll. She said, I will make it up to you. Yeah. Do you know how Jennifer Garner made it up to That's me? Awesome. She Capital talked one. about training with the BU hockey team on the freaking Jay Leno show. She literally just, Jay Leno was asking her how she got in shape for the movie. And she was like, oh my God, I trained with Mike Boyle at Boston University and all his BU players. And they were such great guys. I get a clip, like someone, I get the video clip in the morning from one of my friends. They're like, you won't believe this. And of course, I, I'm not. That's up at amazing. Yeah, I'm not up at 11:30 watching Jay Leno, right? But here I am. What I when I right, hit, right. Tip, I tap on the clip, and here's Jennifer. Now she was the only one who ever said, "Don't use my name," and she went on national TV huh. and used my name. So my only right. point, my only point being, the guys who tell you they can't tell you who their clients are don't have any clients, and yeah. they, that's their way right. of covering it, it up. Like, them to- oh yeah. I got a secret client list. You know, if it got out, uh, you know, it could cause a lot of problems. I'm like, what right. problems would it cause? I don't understand what those problems would be. So that's, I mean, I, I could write a book. I, I actually wrote a, uh, an article one time on uh, internet frauds. I can't think of what I actually, um, I can't think of, think of what I actually called it, but it was, uh, it was exactly what we're talking about right now. Cause it's amazing how many of these yeah. people there are. They're everywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and maybe let me ask you this to end, um, because, you know, I even find myself in this camp. Like, look, I, I'm super passionate uh, about these topics. I love it. I do it myself. I played college football, um, but I still, you know, I'm like, could I write a good program? Like, uh, probably not. Like, I, I, I understand what works for me. I understand the movements. If someone wrote something up, um, something that I enjoyed in your book was talking about, you know, are you a cook or a chef? And how do you know when you become one or the other? So, you know, for a, a lot of folks who listen are strength and conditioning coaches. 
uh, of all levels. Could you maybe just just offer some perspective uh, with regards to being a chef and a cook and as it comes to actually writing programming versus implementing something that has been kind of, you know, I, to use the word again, I guess, curated or put together by an expert? Yeah, uh, the article was called Stick to the Recipe. And one of the things that we hmm. talked about in the article is that training is a recipe. It's not a menu. And in if we think of the concept of a recipe, a recipe is very specific about the ingredients, the amount of ingredients, and the order of ingredients. You know, if you change mm -hmm. any of that, you risk screwing up the recipe, right? Training is identical because it's not a matter of like, oh, I like this. I'm going to put twice as much of that in. You have to like, we always say like, you look at everything as a pie chart and you figure out, okay, how much, you know, we, when someone asks me, okay, write a program. First question, how much time do we have? And, and they're like, well, I'm like, no, you got to give me like, do we have an hour? Do we have an hour and a half? Do we have two hours? How many days a week do we have? You know, what time of the year is, yeah. it? is this an in-season athlete, an off-season athlete? And so I think a lot of times you have to recognize, you know, much like the, the um, culinary world, if you are a, a, a line cook, you do what the sous chef tells you, right? The sous chef says, hmm. you know, cook me up this and you cook it and you give it to him exactly the way that he told you to do it. You don't look at him and think, oh, you know, I'm thinking right. I might do this. I might throw a little of this in. I might throw a little of that. And you're like, no, do exactly what I told you to do. You need to know that yeah. if that's, you know, are, where are you on that scale? Like, are you a chef, sous chef, mm -hmm. you know, second in command, or are you a line cook? Most people are line mm -hmm. cooks who think they're chefs. And most of the chefs behave like line cooks. And, you know, in the real mm -hmm. world. So, I always think the, the key, and I tell this to people all the time, the key to success in this field is, um, I always say, at Mike, you, Mike Boyle University, the first class will be cheating. I will teach everybody how to cheat. Because in strength and conditioning, <laughs> everybody gives you the information. Like you can go, you can go on Train Heroic right now and download our programs. Might cost you, you know, 20 bucks yeah. or whatever, but you could get, you could say, I need a program for hockey. Okay, go to trainerroic.com and You'll get a program that has all the video clips on it. Everything will be done. And one of my coaches will chat with you online and answer your question for you. Like that's a pretty easy way to get mm. a program. Or you could try to put it together yeah. yourself. And generally, um, I have, uh, you can tell I'm like an analogist, right? I love one of my favorite quotes is a giraffe is a horse made by a committee. And, um, you know, uh, <laughs> right. And, but that's the way a lot of I've I, on, I, lo I love a good saying. I've never heard that one in my okay. life. Well, write that one down so you make sure you use that again. But I want credit. Yeah, man. But, that, I, I'm going to steal that one. Absolutely. You got it. <laughs> but when you think about you know, I say most people write giraffe programs when they mean to write horse mm. programs. Because, yeah. because they, they can't, they, you know, it's like, oh, I really like the long neck. You know, I really like the long spindly legs. You know, whatever it is. It's like they inject so much of their likes into the program that when you look at the program, you're like, this stinks. Like, this is really bad. Whereas I say to mm. people like, Hey, I can tell you exactly write a program, you know, start with foam rolling, you know, move to static stretching, put in some sort of, you know, whatever mobility activation, core training, do some type of dynamic warm up, do some power exercises, do a strength program in which you push something, pull something, do some knee dominant unilateral exercise, do some hip dominant unilateral exercise, finish with some sort of interval conditioning. Okay. End of class, right? It's all over. You know, all you got to do fill in the blanks. Mm -hmm. And we literally like sometimes, you know, we'll put like a worksheet together 
And all you got to do is fill in, okay, you know, upper push, what's my exercise? Upper pull, what's my exercise? Right. You know, knee dominant unilateral, what's my exercise? Hip dominant unilateral, what's my exercise? You know what I mean? It's like, it's not very yeah. hard to do, but then you look at someone else's program and you think, oh, you have five pushes. And you're like, yeah, but I like right, inclines right. and I like flies and I wanted to do some overheads. And you're like, okay, we gave you one block. You had to pick a push. That was your job. Don't tell me what you like to do. Don't tell me about like getting a good contraction of your pecs. Just freaking fill in the blank, you idiot, right. you know, and go to the next thing. But <laughs> people can't do that. They, you know what I mean? They, they, in general, they can't get out of their own way when it comes to programming. They can't get past their own bias. And mm. that's where it becomes problematic. That makes total sense. And last question. I'm sneaking this one there only because you just brought it up. Okay. Conditioning. You you do conditioning at, at the end of your workouts, even on like a strength-based day? Yep. Conditioning. Because again, if you think about our, our situation, our professional athletes are coming to us four times a week. I don't want to rely okay. on them to do their conditioning on days they're not with me. Because if you know most athletes, the thing they like to do least is conditioning. So if I said, hey, on Saturday – I would like you to do a really hard interval workout on the assault bike. I'm going to tell you that 20% yeah. of my guys are going to do a really hard interval on the assault bike and 80% are going to golf and get their interval training. Maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll carry their bag. Right? So for us, conditioning right. is at the end of the workout and we are not big conditioning people. Conditioning for us generally does not exceed 15 minutes. It is almost always entirely interval in nature. Um, we do zero hmm. Zero steady state conditioning, zero distance running. Um, we, you know, because again, the, the science does not support that very strongly. Yeah, for sport. Well, that hour flew by. This has been awesome. Um, so look, like I said, you, you have a lot of information available, but for folks who want to follow you, um, you know, we already talked about your Twitter feed, which yes, I am. I'm, I'm going to piggyback off uh, your your crew of experts. You know, where, where do you recommend that folks start by following right. you? So I have a website called strengthcoach.com. Strengthcoach.com is a paid mm -hmm. site. You pay to be a member. And we answer questions every day for like every person's questions get answered every day. Um, Brandon Rierick and Kevin Carr, awesome. two of the guys that I work with, we're on there. So I would say to somebody, that's the number one place to go. Twitter is easy. I'm at mboyle1959 on Twitter. I am at Michael underscore Boyle on Instagram. I, I'm pretty active on Instagram, too. I actually have more Instagram followers than Twitter followers. I just have to like Twitter better. We do have programs on Train Heroic. We do have our own certification. We got a lot of stuff going on. Our company website yeah. is bodybyboyle.com. We've just relaunched our Body by Boyle online website is MBSC TV. So we've got almost like a, you know, where I said Netflix is going to sue us somewhere along the way. But we've said it's like a Netflix for trainers. Because, you know, we've got something like 300 hours of video presentations. We have every one of our staff meetings. So that's at mbsctv.com. We've just, the bad part about us, we probably, my friend Anthony Renner always says, the guy that does Strength Coach Podcast, he said, you have too many offerings and they compete with each other. And I'm like, yeah, we probably do. But huh. I, don't, I don't really care. The good thing is I'm very, like, I'm in a good spot in life. So I'm not really that worried about it. I probably should be more organized and have a better feel for these things. But the reality is I don't. Yeah. Ah, well, that's awesome. Man. And like I said, I, I've had a ton of fun reading uh, and watching your videos. Um, and yeah, well, well, maybe we'll have to have you back on the future because I feel like I, I got through maybe one quarter of my questions. But this was absolutely awesome, man. Thank you All for right, your time. No I really problem. appreciate it.